welcome back to the CSP Bears podcast. It has been a while. Uh, we are anxious to get started again. I hope all of you are doing well uh, and staying healthy. Uh, I am co-host, CSP alum, Golden Bear baseball alum, and current assistant baseball coach, Alex Laporte. And alongside me is another CSP alum and Golden Bear baseball alum, uh, a longtime friend, longtime teammate, a true gentleman and scholar, Andrew Shotwell. How you doing, uh, my man? I wouldn't go that far, but uh, no, it's great to be heard. Uh, glad we're able to do this uh, safely. So uh, glad we're able to talk about sports in general. I know they've been they've been going for a while, but now you know college winter sports have a chance to to make some make a run here. So really looking forward to being able to watch that and follow these teams as they go uh, go on throughout the year. So. No doubt, no doubt. Um, before we welcome our, our special guest to the show, which we're uh, excited to have a conversation with for a little while here, uh, we'll, we'll talk about a couple of things that have been going on on the sports world here at Concordia, per usual. Uh, and one thing I'd like to mention is the We Are More initiative that has been taking place here. Uh, it's twice a week. It's a featured series um, of articles that are posted on Mondays and Wednesdays, and they really spotlight what makes our student-athletes more, if you will. And what else do we got, Shadi? Yeah, no, it's, I think it's a great initiative by the uh, the athletic department to put on, uh, you know, the cliche, more of us are going to go sport or uh, professional and other, something other than sports. So hearing what the, our student athletes are going to be accomplishing off the field is, is important. And I'm glad uh, they have that voice to, to talk about that. So well said. Uh, moving on, just some, some quick things. Hearthstone, uh, Concordia's esports team. Uh, Essentially, what I was explained, two seasons. So their first split, their first season, they went six and one, had a great year. Uh, took it down to the quarterfinals, uh, and unfortunately lost a tough match there. Uh, and now they they finished their second split, second season per se. They went five and two, and uh, an exciting weekend for them. They have the postseason coming up this weekend, so you can make sure you you can uh, catch them on the Twitch stream. Uh, and the time is to be determined. So uh, other exciting news around campus. The women's swim team, they uh, they got in their new pool this weekend over at Henry Sibley High School. So uh, they're waiting for their schedule to also come out and, uh, and and hope for the best there. But they are working out in the pool and getting after it. Let's so go. they're getting their feet wet. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, uh, without further ado, we would like to introduce our guest, the head coach of the men's basketball team, Matt Fletcher. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to. Uh get to chat a little bit about basketball it seems like it was been up and down not sure what to expect but we're almost like there we're, we're getting close now we are we are the fingers are still crossed and uh, i know we're positive and optimistic around here uh, for sure as as we should be um and i guess we'll just dive right into it i know you were saying we'll talk about a lot of basketball but um us and the listeners would like to know more about you and where'd you grow up yeah i grew up in north branch minnesota so about Hop on 35W or E, I guess, from here, and you go 40 minutes straight north, and you'd hit it on your way to Duluth. So um, I played in fall leagues down here growing up in high school and uh, in the summers, so I've, I've been to the Gangloff Center millions of times. So uh, from there, I went to the college at Southwest State in Marshall, Minnesota. So I've been in the NSIC as a player and a coach prior to this and uh, really familiar with the league and, and this school here and really excited to get this chance. What uh, what drew you to SMSU? What's that? What what drew you to SMSU? Well, uh, my recruiting process was a little bit more unique. That was before Twitter even existed, pretty much. So <laughs> you know, you didn't. 
the publicity came from who called you. You know, that's if someone was interested in you the way your your landline rang, that's what that meant. So um, they were just the most persistent. Um, they offered me pretty early, and I ended up committing to them at a football game in the fall and, and signing the early signing period there. Um, Coach Bigler is still there, a uh, mentor and a good friend of mine, so it's been cool to go from a player of his to a you know, a mentor to now a friend and an opponent. So it's right. kind of full circle. So uh, that's a that's a special place, special program, and I'll try to beat them twice a year, but cheer <laughs> for them every other time. <laughs> right. No right. doubt. For sure. Well, obviously, I mean, we can tell it holds a special art. Just we're in, being in your office, you got your jersey framed from uh, your time there, and I think it's safe to say it worked out for you as well. Uh, you had some success there individually, you know, three-time all-conference player, you are now ninth on the all-time scoring list, so I don't know how much you check in on that to see when you're going to dip down to the t- <laughs> double digits. But uh, <laughs> uh, what was your favorite part about playing for Southwest? Uh, you know, just in general, you talked about the coaches and the relationships you grew, but you know, just playing basketball. What what made that so much fun and great for you? Yeah, it's uh, no, I I had no idea. No, I, as long as my name keeps moving down, it means Bigler's bringing good players, so that's good stuff. But um, I think everybody knew about Ryan Brueggemann, so I knew I was sliding after about his sophomore year, so that was no surprise there. But um, you know, playing at Southwest, the community is unique. Um, you know, through this league and playing in it, and then coaching at Upper Iowa, I don't know if there's a community that is more involved and heavily. You know, I think them in Northern State kind of have a unique situation where their their whole community is right behind them. Um, your community support, the fan support, the business support, the uh, general public just is diehard Mustang fans. And so it was really easy to get yourself motivated to play every single night. Um, the tradition there had started to grow with early in my career into the late parts of my career that it kind of picked back up. It had a little bit of a lull. Um, so the expectations were there and the facility's obviously nice and, you know, uh, they've kind of created that brotherhood type style where you know, it's your family that you're playing with. So it's, it was pretty easy to, um, the four years blew by and there was yeah. nothing that I regret about the decision. I mean, uh, I, I went to change a thing about the four years I got to play there with some of the guys that, um, I lived with and, and got to play with every day. Right on. Very cool. Clearly, you enjoyed your time as a player. And building off of that, when did you first realize you wanted to be a coach and get into coaching and pursue a career in coaching? You know, I think it's it's different for every athlete. You know, I think, as you guys can probably attest, when you're playing, you don't really even consider or even think about it. I mean, you right. do when people say, you know, what are you going to do? What's your major? And you're like, well, I'll probably be a teacher or I'll be in business or whatever. But you really never lock it in like this is what I'm going to do well that's true I had aspirations to play and keep playing after and, and tried pretty hard to do that after had a pretty bad leg injury postseason of my last year and my dad was an administrator and a high school coach and college coach for you know forever athletic director and a high school coach and college coach so I think I was it was more of a destined type thing I mean I didn't yeah. really know anything else other than basketball and coaching growing up and I was a water boy growing up so it's just kind of been in my bloodline and so when basketball playing ended and I knew I had to do something and the first thing that hit me right away was get on a coaching staff so um, I don't know if I ever really considered anything else to be honest I love it so I love it very yeah. cool very cool yeah no it sounds like you knew exactly what you wanted to do 
uh, and it just kind of fell into place. So can you take us just kind of, um, you know, coaching is one of those things where you just need to start from the ground bottom and build your way up. And there's a lot of stops along the way, and we're lucky to have you here now. But can you just give us a quick rundown? Where have you been, you know, mm-hmm. grad assistant up to assist, your first assistant to now? Yeah, so after figuring out I was going to coach, I got in contact with uh, Coach Rich Class, who was up at Concordia Moorhead in Division Three in the MIAC. Um, and he had a second assistant spot opened up. Um, you know, very, very low. I don't know, can't remember if I was a volunteer or a super small stipend type position. Moved up there, lived with some guys that actually played for Moorhead State when I played against them. Um, and then from there, um, I, he told me to interview for a job at South St. Paul to get experience, right? You know, it's good to get in front of people, talk about what you want to do for a program. And so I went down to South St. Paul High School, which was about 40 minutes north. You know, it's right around here from where my parents live. And wasn't really sure what I was doing or what, you know, if I wanted the job or not, but he just said, this is really good for you to interview. And I, they ended up offering me the job later that day. So I ended up taking that. So at 22 and a half, I was a head high school coach at South St. Paul High School right Why down not? the road here. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think that was actually what changed my perspective. Um, I won in high school. We won conference championships. We played the section final game three yeah, three out of my four years. Went to Southwest, had a rough first year, but then after that we had winning seasons, 19, 20 win seasons in my last two years. Go to Concordia. We were, we were decent at Concordia, and then we get to South St. Paul, and it was a situation that was it's a football school, a wrestling school, and we had great kids. We just weren't very good. And we were in a league with Tartan and Henry Sibley and right. these schools that were loaded. And um, I had to figure out how do you motivate individuals that are playing basketball because it's winter. You know, and it's not because it's what they love to do. And how do you handle losing? How can you set goals when you go to Tartan, you know you're going to lose by 25, whether you play your best game or your worst game. And so it kind of changed my perspective on how do you coach people, right? And so For from sure. there, I, I decided I wanted to get back in the college game and got a job out in Kentucky. Um, I grew friendships with uh, Tubby Smith and his staff. Uh, working their camps and their leagues and just being as active as I could in the coaching realm and they had a connection out there and so I went out there with two guys actually from Minnesota here the Hemmingson brothers and we worked on Kentucky Wesleyan staff and then uh, I came back with aspirations to work for my friend who's out now the coach at North Central he was the head coach at Mayville State and uh, we had some stuff kind of fall through with a uh, master's program that I was trying to get in. I didn't qualify for it at NADSU, which is where they're paired from for their master's program. And so I was kind of stuck in limbo without a job that I kind of came back for. And then I uh, got into Midwest Elite Basketball, which is a camp organization run by Brad Schmidt and Craig Doty. Craig Doty's the head coach at Emporia State now. And Brad Schmidt was at Montana State Billings forever. And now he's a junior college coach in Wyoming. Um, and I traveled all over the country working camps in high schools and getting to know college coaches. And, I mean, literally, you'd name a state, we were there um, working camps in high schools. And <laughs> so with that, I, you know, got to the fall, and there was a job opening at a high school right where I was living. I was living in New Brighton, and Anoka opened up, and uh, they needed a coach. And so I was like, well, I'm here. And <laughs> I was working at a gym, just personal training and doing some stuff like that while I was doing Midwest Elite Basketball. So I took that job. With knowing I wanted to get into college, I just couldn't find a spot at that point. And then right after that year ended, Brooks McCowan got the job at Upper Iowa, and 
that's when I hopped in there and was down there for a while. And then obviously went to Bethany before here, and now I'm here. Wow. That is a, it's a long, long uh, journey. I can't imagine. You've obviously put in your time. Yeah. I didn't uh, get – I tell everybody, and I tell Sam, my GA now, and I've told other people, you know, I didn't get my first full-time paycheck till I was almost 28. So it was – The grind. So, and, well, I was just going to ask, during yeah. this – you know, all these transitions. So when, at what point were you, did you start your family, uh, get married, have your, and you have two, two boys, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's another weird story. So Brooks called me, I was at LA fitness in new Brighton. It's, uh, he calls and says, Hey Fletch, I got a job. Do you want it? I said, well, can I have 10 minutes to think about it? You know, I, I knew I was <laughs> going to take it, but one of those like Holy crap, I'm about to move to Fayette, Iowa. <laughs> I don't know if you've been to Fayette. I was like, I'm about to leave there. Oh, yeah. I'm just starting my workout. I'm like, I'm going to finish this workout, and then I'll call you back, and I'll give you an answer. And he kind of knew. He was uh, Bigler's assistant at Southwest before I got the Upper Iowa job. So I knew him already. I'd been down there right. for alumni stuff. We had a friendship already. So it was, it was you kind of knew it was going to happen. But And then this little blonde lady walked into the gym, and she was – I felt she was a good-looking young lady. And then by the end of my workout, I called Brooks and just finishing up and said, yeah, I think I'm going to take the job. You know, he said, yeah, I kind of knew you were going to. I said, there's a girl in here, though. She's pretty good-looking, going to keep me in the cities, I think. He said, well, you're about to move to Fayette. What do you got to lose? You're never going to see her again. <laughs> exactly. So he's like, go up and ask her for her number and give you someone to talk to when we live in this town with 500 people in the summer. <laughs> so I talked to her and. The rest was history. So we dated online or, you know, through Skype and stuff for the first couple of years. And then we got engaged. And then she moved down for my last year down there after we got married. And then we had kids when we moved to Mankato once I got that next job. So didn't start my family. I didn't meet her until I was 27. So I have a another unique path. A lot of guys and ladies get married right after college. I was... Not near that. Hey, <laughs> hey, there's there's no right path, right? right. There's no I right took my time. <laughs> yeah. Hey, good for you, good for you. And you know, out of the corner of my eye, I do see a Duke basketball in your office. Yeah. Did you name your son after Duke? So I'd like to say yes. You know, it'd be like the manliest thing you could say. Like I had, a, <laughs> yeah, I had my first son. I've been a diehard Duke fan my whole life, and I named him Duke. But it's not true. Okay. My wife called me. So we found out she was pregnant. We were, you know, we wanted to see if boy or girl so we found out and then we said all right we got to pick out a name and we were kind of going back and forth and I came home one day and she's like I got it and I know you're not going to say no <laughs> I was like okay and she said Duke I said done <laughs> done done deal Duke done don't even care <laughs> we don't need anything longer than that you know and so no I did not pick it but I was 100% on board I did pick Booker though that's our second one okay there we go well, that's so, it that's as good as it gets yeah. It was Booker named after any particular you know, no. Devin Booker's the one that comes <laughs> No, no, no. He wasn't quite – I mean, he's, he was relevant, but not really at that point. But, no, that was actually – we were in the hospital, and we were still were undecided. And I'm like, no, it's Booker. We're going with it. And she was like, okay. And then it's grown on her. She likes him now. I love <laughs> it. I love it. Well, you mentioned your time at Bethany. Uh, my cousin Neil Eichton yep. played for you. Are there any stories that you could say on the show <laughs> about, about, Neil. about Neil? Maybe if not, that's cool. Bit. Just thought I'd throw it out there. <laughs> oh, man. He needs something to bring. Well, to the virtual Thanksgiving, he needs something to throw yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, Neil, I, I haven't I, seen him in a while, so Neil, I would love to bring it up to him. 
<laughs> Neil. Neil is one of a kind. Neil was, um, I think, probably the best story. You know, when you're trying to figure out guys when you get a new job, and Neil was always that loud, oh, yeah. energetic, you know, kind of wild type guy. And yep. um, But it turns out, you know, I kind of thought he was our tough guy. He was our guts, you know. He was our point guard, and everybody liked him. You know, he was just kind of the face of the franchise type guy. And then our trainer came in about week two, and he told me that he gets his toes taped. <laughs> yeah. Really? What does that even mean? And I said, uh, "You tell me. You played basketball. I, I don't know. No what that know. means." And Paul, our trainer, he's a great trainer. And I said, "Paul, what does that even mean? He tapes his toes." He said, "Yeah, his toes hurt, so I got to tape his toes." This guy took thirty minutes before practice getting his toes and ankle. He had everything taped. You could tape. Head that's, to toe. Come on. That's a new one. That yeah. is, that is. hey, I guess whatever gets the ball in the basket. I mean, I, I, I don't guess. know. But, but I, I'll have to bring that up to him. Oh, yeah. We, made, we made fun of him for it. But, <laughs> no, Neil was a big shot maker. He made big plays, especially his last year um, when we went to the NCAA tournament. And he had some big shots to get us there. And then he, he, he played really well at St. John's to get us that win in the NCAA tournament. And, yeah, he was a. Uh, He's a fun guy. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it's just like you said, he's energetic and and fired up. And so the couple of times I've played, been able to play golf with them at a family golf outing we have uh, every year. It's it's always fun being in the cart with him for for eighteen holes. Oh, no doubt. He's but. got stories. That's for sure. <laughs> it's exactly. You just sit there, let him go, and you have a blast. Yeah, exactly. So, very cool. Very cool. Uh, so you know, digging in into Bethany here, um, just looking at you know, and this is from the outside looking in, but it looks like the team. Uh, previous or prior to when you were there, uh, didn't have necessarily a, what you call a winning culture, you know, four, four losing seasons in a row. Uh, and when you got there your first year, uh, you went 17 and nine, followed by four or three more winning seasons of 29, 18, and eight, 21, and seven. So, in your mind, going into that position, you know, what did you want to accomplish year one that made you as successful that you know instantly change it? And then, you know, four years down the road. What do you cut like? What do you attribute your success to in, in changing the culture there? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I think when you look into a job, you know, I was at Upper Iowa and I was looking into the job. There's always a couple of things you got to look at. One, what's there? Two, can you change it? And three, you know, what type of support do you have around it? And Bethany checked all those boxes, in my opinion. I had known about Bethany forever. Um, we were tied to it in a couple different ways. We used to scrimmage them when they were junior college when I was in college. So I'd been there a million times. I've been to Mankato. Um, and at that point, my wife, her dad's side is from uh, Mankato as well. So there was a lot that just kind of felt like we should be there. Um, the cupboard was not bare whatsoever. Um, I felt like and I do with most programs. Uh, most programs, guys want to win. Who doesn't, right? Right. Well, how do you, how do you, what, what's causing you to lose usually is what happens more than what causes you to win. You know, most programs can't figure out what's holding you back when everybody's trying to attain the same thing. Everyone wants to put the ball in the cup. They want to play defense. They want to stay out of trouble, right? Well, then why do some programs do it at a high level and some don't? Well, I felt like we had the pieces there. You know, Brandon Freelix was a senior my my first year there. He ended up being player of the year. Um, we had guys like Neil. We had the Rose Twins. I mean, we had players right away. It was just a matter of your expectation needed. Actually, put it this way. Their goals need to become expectations in the way they acted, the way they practiced, the way they conditioned, the way they got themselves ready to play. You know, I think a lot of times when you use the word goal, it's almost like a lofty, 
if only, right? If we can get to that, you know, whereas if, if it becomes an expectation, you can demand that on a daily basis and you can hold them to that. So if they actually say that, so when we ask teammates, you know, what, what's your goal this year? which I'm not a huge fan of, but when they say, well, we want to win a conference championship. And I said to them right away, I said, are you sure? And they kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, well, because if you say yes, I'm going to coach you and treat you, and we're going to act as a championship-level program. And that's a lot different than what we're doing right now. And they they were all in, but then after that point, it's, it's are they willing to do it, right? Are they willing to commit to it? And like I said, I think we had the pieces already. They just need some guidance, some some direction, some some hope, some faith, right? The, the kind of the rejuvenation. Right. You know, we had a guy like Austin Bauer from Caledonia who'd won high level in high school. He knew what winning was, so it was just kind of getting guys back on board and having confidence in themselves. Um, and then we took hits early, so I think guys wavered a little bit. And you know, we started zero and five, playing all Mayak teams and getting smacked around, and and it got tough for a minute there. But then all of a sudden. You could feel the the growth start to come together. We went to Florida for a trip, uh, played really well there against a, a nationally ranked NAI team. Actually, lost, and but you could feel after that game something something clicked. And then we came home and won. It was like eleven straight or something like that. So, I think when you're trying to introduce a winning culture, you know, which which people talk about in a winning locker room, it's consistency, it's discipline. But most of all, it's just you got to have guys that don't really care about anything but winning. You know, how they handle themselves in the dorms, the classroom. You, you just can't worry about anything else other than will this make our team better and will it help us win? Whether that's a role change, shot selection, sitting in the first two rows of your class, you know, just the little stuff that eliminates some of the distractions that other teams deal with that you don't need to. Right, and making sure not just – 12 out of the 15 guys are on board with that, making sure all 15 guys are, and that's where yeah, it yep. might click. Yeah, and that's where you – if your 15th man doesn't feel as valued as your first man, you're going to lose because those guys are as valuable. Coaches see it, but if that 15th man doesn't feel valued, he's not going to practice at the highest level, which then won't make your top five better, right? And so mm-hmm. defining roles, explaining those roles, why they're in those roles, and then making them believe in that role. It's tough, but it's – No doubt. I think they'd rather hear the truth than beat around the bush. So how hard is it, you know, as a coach looking in, you know, there are maybe a couple guys who aren't fully on board. How easy for you is that, you know, can you see that, just how they're going about their business, uh, you know, looking at their grades, how they're interacting versus the guys who are really getting after it and and buying in? Yeah, I think, you know, I kind of teach coaching and and treat coaching like raising my kids. You know, if you walk up to a two-year-old in a daycare, or a four-year-old, and that's my two ages, and you're mean to that kid for the first time, or you don't play with them, or you pick on them, or you do something that's going to rub them the wrong way, it's going to take a bit for you to bring that kid back in so he trusts you to play with you, right? Well, it's kind of the same thing when you take over a program. You can tell these guys, this is what we're going to do, it's going to work, this is going to happen, this is what da-da-da-da-da, right? Well, then they're going to experience some success, and they're going to experience some failure, they're going to experience some hardship, they're going to experience how you talk to them differently than the coach before. And you're going to have guys that kind of wave in those emotions on what's, what am I doing? What am I trying to figure out? How can I be effective? You know? And so the ups and downs become the challenge, I think, where, but then that's when you have to just address each guy personally. 
until they believe. If if they don't think that you believe in them, then your role you're trying to give them is dead. It's you're you're just beating a dead horse. If they don't think that what I'm telling you, you know, you're going to be the best shooter on this team, and I don't, they don't sense that I believe that. I mean, they're going to know that right away. They can see right through it. So I think the biggest key for me has just been being genuine. These guys, they need to know I care about them and that I believe in them, and then. That way, when I do have to coach them at a higher, harder level, they're they're all right with that. Absolutely. Sure. Uh, so another thing that uh, actually gets me pretty fired up from your time at Bethany actually makes me want to you know find out if I can use my extra year eligibility to come back and play for you. <laughs> but uh, you guys averaged 91 points your last year at Bethany. Looks like this is kind of your style. I mean, it kind of built up at Bethany. And if I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Upper Iowa like to do the same thing uh, just when we watch them in our gym. But is this kind of your style, score a lot of points? Uh, I don't want to say uh, defense optional, but a little D'Antoni system where you're getting up and down and transition and running. Is that kind of what you're going to bring here? Yeah, so that's it's, it's kind of a mix. So back when I took the job with Brooks, him and Brad Bigler had made a new system, which, which they called Phoenix. And then when we went to Upper Iowa, Brooks kind of morphed it into what he wanted, right? Because obviously you get your job and you want to morph it. Well, then when I got my job, I morphed what I liked and didn't and wanted to add, which is what it's all about. And my biggest thing is I, when I played in college, I, I shot threes. I mean, I think everybody knows that. I didn't, I didn't dribble. I didn't run. I didn't. I just shot threes, and that was my job, right? So Not a bad gig. Right. So, <laughs> and, and Coach Bigler told me, Biggest thing when I got into coaching is you have to coach to who you are. If you try to coach something you're not, they'll again the genuineness won't be there and they'll sense it. So I needed to play and coach a style that I I had fun coaching. I wanted to be a part of. Well, that was up tempo, spread the ball out, shoot the ball when you're open. You know, I had the ultimate green light. So if I was open, the ball was going up, whether it was 28 on the clock or two on the clock. And and so we're kind of installing that style. And then you know so increasing possessions everything we do is based out of the nba i don't use any college um we don't study college we don't study college offenses um defensively obviously our our what we give up per, uh, points per game is obviously going to be a lot higher because we increase possessions by 20 to 30 a game so we do a lot of percentage stuff like last year we led the league in field goal percentage defense we were terrible guarding the three-point line to start the year ended up finishing the top three you know we'll, we've led the league in rebounding multiple years. So we do a lot of points per possession, percentage stuff, because we know, you know, we're going to give, if we're giving up 78 points a game, people are like, holy crap, you know, the best team in the country is giving up 50. Well, (laughs) they might have 50 possessions and we have 90, you know, so we try to break that down. So, because the guys see that too, like, holy crap, coach, we got 75 points last year. Our goal was 60. I'm like, yeah, but we scored 112. Like, <laughs> yeah. that, that means we me. won by 30. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Golden State Warriors is, like, coming to my head right away. It's yeah. like, if you go look, they're probably top, at least top five in the league in points given up, but they're the number one or two defensive yep. efficiency team. It's, it's, it's like, efficiency, and then what What are you willing to give up? You know, you're, nev- you're not going to be elite at everything. So what do you want to be really, really, really good at? Well, you know, we have a couple things defensively we focus on that we're going to harp the crap out of this year, and hopefully that our efficiency offensively outweighs that defense that's kind of the puzzle right the pieces to the puzzle and um, guys love playing in it you know oh yeah we don't call sets to get guy one guy the look I'm not just going to call it for you or you it's going to be more of if a guy's hot we got to find a way to give him a ball right and 
that kind of stuff. So I'm, do you? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'll just I'll pitch in here quick. Hockey guy here. <laughs> but I love listening to this stuff just because you know sports guy, sports nut. Obviously, each team you have year after year is is slightly different mm-hmm. or a lot different. Can you bring this strategy to really any roster, or do you still have to make small and or big adjustments depending on you know what you have? Each recruit year? your guys. Will take right. a while to recruit no, the sure. guys you want in the right. system versus right. coming yeah. in right away, kind of a deal. Right. Absolutely, I think. That's one thing we found appealing about it. Yes, the system itself should fit any player you bring in. Now, what you key on and look for offensively is going to change. If you've got a team that, you know, I think our last year at Bethany, we shot the crap out of it. We had three, four guys that could shoot it from anywhere on the court. Well, the year before that, or two years before that, when we won it all, went to the NCAA tournament, we didn't really have that. But we had a dominant five-man, and we had – some big wings so we attacked the rim like crazy and just kept the floor as space as possible you know it's finding putting players in the in the spots to succeed at the highest level i mean you look at a guy for like you talked about day antoni look at the rockets and pj tucker Small yeah ball. yeah he doesn't play anywhere before that and now he's one of the best three, corner three-point shooters in the entire league well he right. was good at shooting it so we put him in that spot to help him succeed right and th- i think that's what the key is here with these guys you know w- what do i have to do to get carlos and jordan and jacob and these guys in positions where their skill set succeeds and that's the puzzle and that's the fun part and it's fun watching them try to figure that out too because again i'm not going to come down and say 51 down and matt johns is shooting it no it's hey, Matt Johns has hit two or three shots in a row. Jordan, you're the point guard. Make a play to get him another look so he can get the ball in space and score the ball. For sure. That's kind of the, the difference, I think. Sure. Oh, I love it. I love it. So when you say you model, or I should say model, you study uh, you know, NBA systems. Now this is a hybrid of you know, something you've learned to make it yours, but what are, you, what are you looking for when you go study NBA systems? I'm assuming it's a rock. It's kind of small ball method but what are you actually looking for there kind of you know we we use you know my four years at bethany we had one of the best fives in the country you know trent last year shot 72 percent from the field that's insane right and so it feels like a small ball system because we shoot a lot of threes and we're so spread out and we're moving so fast except he was getting anywhere between 14 to 20 paint touch post-ups a game you know but it feels small ball but what we were doing is playing it so fast, and then when he would get the ball, we had screens run on. And that's the type of stuff we'll study, right? When they throw it inside to Jokic, what do the Nuggets do to make sure the the double doesn't come, right? And and trying to figure out those little things that they do, different screen actions. I just feel like they're so ahead of the times. I just feel like the game always morphs into what the NBA is two, three, four years later at the college level, and then the high school kind of follows that, right? Well, mm-hmm. Think about it. The Warriors started small ball, and now look at what you're seeing more of in, in college. You're seeing more Villanova winning national championship. You're seeing North Carolina's system be even more successful with this running the court, spreading it out, shooting fast. You know, Duke's playing with one traditional five and then four guards. You know, you, you just kind of see the game follow their trends. Well, I just kind of thought, why not just copy the best coaches in the world and steal their stuff instead of – try to make something uh, that uh, probably isn't as effective, you know? I think coaching yeah. is stealing, right? It's just how oh, good yeah. can you steal? Oh, oh absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, did that, did, did that make Virginia's title even more impressive because they were so play defense, give up 50 points a game type team? 
And I think that's what that's what the difference is, right? I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, right. what Matt Margentaler is going to do at Mankato, there's nothing wrong with that. He's coaching who he is, what his system is. It works. But I just don't find joy in coaching certain ways that other coaches do. Like, I couldn't do what Tony Bennett does. I just, I just can't do that. Right. So then the guys would see that, though, right? And if I'm not having fun coaching, they're not going to have fun playing. So it was more of morphing what I felt was going to be my energy, my excitement to show up in practice every day. I mean, what they did is it's not even surprising. The year before they got upset, and they, I think they should have won it that year. But, again, you recruit. he recruits 6'6 six, six and above across the entire board. <laughs> and when you, when you show up on his campus, you're, I mean, you're in a defensive stance probably moving into your dorm. I mean, it's, <laughs> right. you know, he's established that, you know, just like North Carolina, you're going to run the North Carolina break. I mean, you're going to run, right? So yeah. it's – you morph it into what you want it to be, and that's kind of the fun part. Yeah. Oh, well, absolutely. It seems like you're excited about uh, bringing that type of style to Concordia and um, building off of that. What excites you also about this opportunity to coach in the Twin Cities? Yeah, my parents live in Forest Lake. They they were still in North Branch until they just bought a house, built a house three years ago, I think. Uh, my sister still lives in North Branch. Uh, my wife's family lives in Plymouth and Mound and Delano and Mankato. Um, but I think deep down for me, and you can ask Coach Perrin, that's my assistant. We've been together forever. Um, when I got the job at Upper Iowa, um, I kind of looked at him and I was like, someday if we can get a shot at that spot, I would love it. You know, just to be in the cities where I grew up, where I played. I always love coming and playing here in college. Um, I just fe- I feel like it's a sleeping giant. I don't know why you can't. And this isn't a knock on anybody who's been here. It's just I feel like there's it's untapped in how we're going to do things. Is might have to be different to get get that untapped out right and figure it out. But it's always been a job that I just I don't know. It's it's been in the back of my mind, exciting. I felt like all my preparation for it. This is just kind of the one I really have my eye on, just being where I'm from and the league I played in. It just kind of fits, you know. Yeah, no, for, for sure, for sure. And obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic, Yeah, right? Year one. You get here, yeah, year one. Uh, how have you handled that? And when our student athletes and your players started coming to campus to start school up again, when you were looking at it, what was your approach going into that when it comes to addressing your players and your coaches and how we're going to handle this so I think my my biggest challenge with the pandemic wasn't the pandemic it was George Floyd it was the situations that were happening on our basically on our doorstep of our campus with young men that every one of them felt a different way about it and I didn't even know them. I had never even met them face to face that I think that was my pandemic to start and at that point, you know, you didn't even know what, when I moved here, I mean, people, coronavirus, you had no idea, you know, you didn't really have right. any idea what was going on with it. You just knew you shouldn't leave your house. And at that point, you're really wearing masks. You just stay away from people. You know, you just didn't really know. Um, but I did know that we had guys that felt very strongly about situations that were going on, rightfully so. And then we had some that just didn't understand, right? So we came together as a group and as a team that way. You know, I think one of the things I noticed with them is they realize that I'm going to address issues, good, bad, ugly, head on, 
with ultimate um, truth and just up for up front to them. And I think they appreciated that. I let them be heard. They spoke in a lot of our Zoom calls um, because a lot of it I don't understand, right? You know, right. so you target the George Floyd thing. I'm not black. I I grew up in a city 50 minutes north of the Twin Cities. It's a lot different than down here, right? And right. so trying to understand how they feel, which isn't right or wrong. None of it's right or wrong with how somebody feels. So f- trying to figure that out, it helped me get to know these guys on a personal level faster than I think I, I thought would happen, you know, and it connected me with them. And it just grew our trust as a group. You know, they kind of sat there and thought like, you know, coach is in this with us, which I wanted them to know right from the beginning, and then basketball take care of itself. And that was kind of the process I tried to have to stick to because – couldn't do anything in person. It was it was brutal. It was definitely brutal, especially knowing when I got the job, they were still here. And then campus got shut down, and then so my opportunity to even meet them yeah. got kind of slipped away right away. Yeah. No, I got to imagine, you know, just having a diverse campus in general at Concordia and a diverse mm-hmm. team, uh, I, I got to imagine, you know, someone coming in, the first thing they, they, you know, care about, take the time listening to them, their thoughts. I think that's important. That'll go a long way as, as, you know, as you get to finally you did meet them in person. Obviously, you practice and, and building a team and, and a family. So that's props and respect for that. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And I, I did read the article that was posted by our very own Josh Deere, um, you know, with, uh, with you and uh, the things you have said. And I actually picked up on a quote that you had said regarding what you've been talking about. And you said, there is talking about change and there is being change. And it seems like from the moment you've been here, you have played a huge role in um, changing our university for the good when it comes to uh, putting, putting together community events. You know, mm-hmm. you guys uh, had some fundraisers uh, for school supplies and food and whatever it may be. Um, and we just want to thank you for that. Seriously, it seems like you've done a great job and played a huge role in that. And um, it seems like you're building uh, great young men in the process. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think I got lucky, too, with that a little bit. I had I have some friends, you know, we had the twins that played here. Abe right up the road at McAllister was, I mean, described the All-American man. That's him, you know, and they reached out to me right away. And, you know, to be quite blunt and honest again, it's I'm a white man in a powerful spot, quote-unquote powerful, right, Um, (laughs) but with a platform, and they asked for my help. And did I understand why right away? Not at all, but then they helped me understand it. And that was my biggest thing with – and then seeing what happened – that's that's when my brain just all of a sudden exploded with this is this is real this is what's happening you know i i just it's not that i didn't care or didn't know i just didn't understand i i didn't know so then having this opportunity to help the area um we didn't have anything going on here because we couldn't recruit we couldn't have camps right i literally was like let's find some stuff to help out and these guys jumped on board and you know credit to them for doing so much too and but it was huge, I think, and it, it helped our campus. And it helped St. Paul, which was, at the end of the day, the biggest, most important thing. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. You yeah. got anything, Shadi? Yeah. I'll, well, just continuing on here, hopefully we're looking forward to it and see the light at the end of the tunnel here. I'm looking at your schedule behind you on your board. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and for those who don't know, it's it's a little bit unique. They, I'd almost say they dumbed it down for us baseball players. It, it's a little more familiar <laughs> for us. And uh, hockey. And yeah. hockey, and yeah. Hockey. Oh, it's, it's, more, uh, it's more so a series feel this year than yeah. a, a traditional <laughs> schedule. So, example, they, they're opening up with Crookston. 
Uh, they're going to play back-to-back nights. You're going to play them twice. You're going to move on to Wayne. You're going to play them twice and so on, fourth, fourth. And I think there's yeah. 16, 16 games. Yep, so eight, all eight straight weeks before the conference tournament. Yep. So with uh, fingers crossed, um, you know, we can get this in and, and do it safely. Uh, what are you looking forward to, just getting back on the court and being able to put a team and compete against someone other than your own team? Yeah, I think, you know, with what just happened with the governor and, and the new lockdown and – so we're now we're adding testing next week, which uh, Reagan, if if we, if you don't know who Reagan is, go on her website because she's the best in the business. I mean, what she's been able to pull off week after week after week to keep our season alive is I I can't wrap my head around it. So preach, preach. Yeah, credit to her. Um, that's the only reason we can have this conversation while we sit here. I know other schools aren't in, in as good a shape as we are. So, um, but with the new schedule. It's unique. It is. Like you said, it's got that hockey, that baseball, that, I don't know, what other sports play series, you know, but softball. But I think the different part for that will just be, you know, you're usually you're so used to prepping a whole week for two opponents. Like you're putting a piece in here. All right, we're going to see a lot of this, this back screen action here. And then we're going to see on Saturday, we're going to see a lot of ball screen action. Well, now you're literally prepping for one team. So how can you create a new routine? How can you create a new balance? Um, and then what can you change night one to night two? Yeah. What do we do Friday night after the game? Do we watch film? Do we change everything? I mean, you know, you just, it's so crazy to do something we've never done. You've never done since probably playing AAU basketball back in 10th grade when you play the same team back-to-back weekends on a tournament or something. But um, I think the exciting part is letting these guys compete, let them feel normal, let them feel normalcy, let them feel um, that the efforts they're doing right now where they're, they're not going out. They're not hanging out with people. They're trying to bubble themselves as good as possible, be rewarded, right, and and let them compete against people and, and doing it safely, obviously. We want to make sure these guys are all safe. But, I mean, if we're test, testing three times a week, I don't know how you can escape COVID. So <laughs> yep. I think we're going to know. I think we're going to know. No doubt. Yeah, no, to your point, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, different coaches attack this, but, you know, you kind of get like that NBA playoff feel where it's like, yeah, okay, yep. you play night one, you know, there's kind of a chess match within the game of, you know, should we bring in him when he brings him off the bench, vice versa. But now you have a night to go, okay, how are we going to counter this? Yeah. Do we throw him in the starting spot? I'm I'm actually looking forward to, to watching that, especially for, you know, a league that this never happens. So yeah. Uh, yeah. being able to see that should be fun. A uh, couple more questions for you. I actually want to go back one more question to your time at Bethany. Mm-hmm. So I noticed you, and I think you may have done this at a couple other places. So at Bethany, you were also the women's golf coach and yeah. the strength and conditioning. Were you the head guy? Yeah, I was. So how, first <laughs> of all, how do you have time to do those three full-time jobs? And, and is that just golf? Is that a passion for you, strength and conditioning? Are those other just passions that you're, you know, basketball might conquer? But uh, Yeah, so, I mean, Division three is different, right? You can't work out in the fall and the spring. So when teams are in season, basically the rule they kind of set when they developed the program was if you're in season, you're in charge of you're doing your own weights and conditioning. So I'd say about 50% of that duty was scheduling the weight room for different teams to come in at these times and, and do that. And then any teams that were out of season, that's who we trained and worked out so they could work out in a team setting with a coach and, and you know elevate their off-season training um but at the most you're looking at four or five teams tops because we don't have football so mm. you're looking at like in the fall we'd have men's women's basketball but then you have soccer playing 
both men's and women's soccer. You have baseball and their fall ball, softball and their fall ball. So, like, they're doing their own stuff anyway. So you're looking at two, three, four, five teams. So it wasn't terrible. Um, at times it was really difficult. Um, luckily we had great coaches there that understood that, you know, maybe I could go for the first half of it and then I had to jump to a different something, you know, because in the fall I was also coaching golf. Now, golf, when I went to Kentucky, that was a job they gave me with coaching to get me a little bit of a, a stipend. Um, and so they asked if I wanted to do that and, Sure, why not, right? Uh, but I think it actually helped me a ton. One, it gave me some of the best managers in the country because um, all of my basketball managers were my golfers. They gave me the best babysitters <laughs> in the country. Go. They were all my babysitters. <laughs> yeah. um, but actually what I really loved is it made the fall go really fast. Um, it, it just kept me busy. I, I invested in those ladies, and we found some success. We had some fun with it. And I think the thing they liked about it is I wasn't trying to go out there and teach them tiger woods skull swing <laughs> yeah. i'd give them a good snack if they were struggling you know <laughs> they were upset give them a hug whatever they need just to kind of keep playing well and having fun and i think that's just what i focused on but i like golf i used to do yeah. it a lot more before i had two kids but uh my dad will attest to that he's like why don't you get new golf clubs i'm like well for my one outing a year i don't think the <laughs> yeah. investment's worth it. <laughs> not quite the in- not, worth the investment yet yeah, it, is, <laughs> it is booming right now with the pandemic it I'll tell is you that. Yep. But, uh and my last question i have for you is just looking back from when you were playing at southwest or even high school uh to what you're teaching now what is the biggest change and i think we've already touched on this a little bit but just how the game's evolved and what you kind of like about that and I know we talked about, you know, going small and shooting more and learning that, but from when you were playing, sounds like you personally liked that, but it was your coach doing that to where you are now. Yeah. I think the game has evolved in multiple different areas. It's officiated differently. Um, what's enjoyed by young men is different now. Um, it used to be more of like the slug fest, you know, talking bad boys, bad boys days yep. and then, but that's the way the NSIC played back then too. You played two big four or five men every all the time. You didn't have stretch fours. Now the big four or five men, some of the fours could shoot. Um, but I, I just think the game has evolved more. It's offensive favored, right? Right. Sells tickets again. NBA that evolves new era. that. It trickles down, right? Well, pre- reason why is you have guys that watch it on TV. They enjoy it. Well, then that's what they want to go do. So. That's what I think's changed the most is just it's fit to score the ball at a higher level. Um, and that's probably the biggest challenge, too, because they're trying to do things that the best players in the world are doing. So, But I think from when I played to now, the thing I wish that I had, you know, that these guys get is there's so many areas of platform to – have family be able to watch from all over to have, you know, um, your voice be heard more. You just feel like you can be more of a smaller campus like this in the NSIC. You do have a voice, and there's just a lot you can do. You can be more effective, I think. You, I just think the hype around the program can be better. I think you can, you can make it feel more hyped up and exciting, and there's just a lot more I think you can do nowadays. There's just more availability. There's more stuff like this. I don't, I don't, I don't even know if they did podcasts back then, but, right. <laughs> you know, you know, all the games are live stream with announcers and scoreboards. I mean, I, I don't even – our film was a VHS on a bus sometimes. I mean, things have just changed so much that I think these guys can enjoy it and they can relish it longer. And um, But as for the game, I just think it's it's – styles have changed officiating's changed so then you just adapt to 
to what fits what's new, you know. And I think some of the teams in this league still are – they haven't completely jumped ship and they're still winning. So I, it'll be kind of the battle of philosophies and, and styles of play this year, I think, a little bit with the back-to-backs. And we'll we'll be looking forward to seeing those styles clash yeah. uh, in the yeah. near future here. We well, must oh. see, honestly. I love watching that kind of basketball. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, this is Mr. Shoot Threes from the Corner type guy, too. Yeah. You, know? you make them? <laughs> from time to time. <laughs> Best shooters in the world shoot 50%. So you're, there we go. You're good to go. There we go. Well, hey, that's all for me. Shadi, I don't know if you have any other questions. No, that does it for me. Um, but that was fun. Matt, we cannot thank you enough for being on the show. Um, we look forward to seeing you do great things in the future. And uh, we can't wait to get into the Gangelhof and, and, and see you guys uh, light up the scoreboard. Yeah, thanks for having me and uh, thanks for all the support. All right, Golden Bear family, thank you for tuning in again to our CSP Bears podcast. That wraps up episode two. And remember, you can listen to and follow our podcast on the CSP Bears website, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio app, the list goes on. And we are also sponsored by Buzzsprout. So thanks again. Port and Shoddy are out. And stay golden, my friends.